Our reading is from Exodus chapter 4. We pick up the story of Moses after he has uh, met with God in the burning bush. God has asked him to undertake a task. He has given every reason why he should not be the one. But picking up at verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, She said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also all about about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So I arrived last uh, Monday evening at a deacon's meeting, and I was welcomed by Tim um, with kind of the following words. These may not be exactly what he said, but I think this was the kind of gist of it. Ah, there's the man that has to preach on God wanting to kill Moses. You've drawn the short straw there, Ian. Initially, I was petrified. But then, a bit like Moses, my emotions changed. And hopefully, we'll see that as we go through the course of this sermon. This sermon has been put together through kind of my thoughts, some research I've done, um, some snippets of conversations I've had with members of the church, and also discussions I've had with my pupils at school. We're currently studying Moses, so it fits in quite nicely. We'll look to address four points. Moses asking Jethro his permission to go back, the start and preparation of his journey, Moses failing to obey God's command, and then the arrival of Aaron. So Moses, 
He'd made all the excuses, and God had dealt with every one of them. Moses had to make a decision. Was he going to obey or disobey God? God had encouraged him and equipped him. Now Moses had to respond to God's call. It was clear in Moses' mind that it was God who spoke to him. Now he must obey. In the rest of the chapter, we'll see Moses' first few steps towards this this experience. But let's go back. After experiencing an encounter with God on Horeb, Moses has to go back to his father-in-law. We need to try and imagine how Moses must have felt at that time. He had just been stunned by the presence of God. He was doing an ordinary job. Some might say an even mundane job as a shepherd. But the next moment, he has this unbelievable, life-changing experience with God. Now his whole life had been turned around and he was facing the enormous task to lead God's people out of Egypt. He must have wondered, a little bit like needle in the haystack, where do I start? Well, maybe he started by taking the sheep back to Jethro. One would hope he wouldn't leave it on the mountain of Horeb. But he also had to ask Jethro to seek permission to go to Egypt. You see, in society and culture, it would have been well, impolite to abandon his job and family and go to Egypt. He had responsibilities to his people. And so he couldn't just get up and go. He had to go back home to deal with the mundane issues, but important matters at home. When he finally gets back to Jethro's home, he asks, if, he asks him if he go back to Egypt to see how his people are doing. He was probably wondering about the response he would receive from Jethro. I tried to place myself in this situation about going to a fatherly figure and asking for something when you're not quite sure the, the response is going to be. And all I could come up with was the story of when I asked my father-in-law if I could marry Anita. It's a true story. You've heard it before. I apologise, but I'll tell you it now. It was one Christmas, about 15, 16, actually 17 years ago. And my father-in-law was upstairs. And so I went upstairs, scared, really not sure what I was going to say, mouth a little bit dry, possibly like Moses, I opened the door of the bedroom, and there he stood, hammer in one hand, nails in the other hand. Okay, Ian, I thought, now is as good a time as any. And so, well, as the story turned out, I didn't get pinned to the wall with a nail and hammer. He said yes. But I, climbing those stairs, I was nervous, but I was also excited. But even then, we're not quite sure whether Moses tells Jethro the full story here. He doesn't seem to mention 
God's call or his actual encounter with God. Perhaps he, he kept it from him because he was scared that Jephthah would refuse permission for his wife and grandchildren to go and accompany him on such a dangerous journey. Or perhaps he didn't want the word getting out that he'd been called. And so he didn't want it going back to Egypt. In any case, Jethro gave permission. And Moses is now free to return. But before we take the next step, let us pause and think about this for us today. Moses recognised that Jethro was very much the head of the family. He could not just go and abandon everything because of God's call. Now, when God calls us to full-time service, it's important we don't just hear God's call and go, right, that's it, I'm off. We have responsibilities. It might well be that we have to talk it over with our family. Whether that be our family at home or our family in our church. It's important that all things are considered. Because if God calls you, then God will clear the path for you, just as he did for Moses. But one of the things that you need to do is to talk to others about it. When God calls us, we need to consult others and seek their blessing and advice before we go and prove, before we may go on what may prove to be an extremely dangerous journey. On Friday at school, I asked my, uh, my class the following question for their homework. People should be prepared to do what God calls them to do, no matter how dangerous. I gave them a week, so they got a fair amount of time to do it. I'm not asking for your response now, but maybe as I go through this, you'll start to think about that question too. People should be prepared to do what God has called them to do, no matter how dangerous. We'll come back to my class in about two or three minutes. So Moses sets out, but before he does, the Lord assures him that all the men who wanted to kill Moses were now dead. This must have made Moses feel better and encouraged. Encouraged to continue to trust in God. So Moses takes his wife and his sons with him and sets out for the land of Egypt. He also takes his staff, which is now called the staff of God, because God was going to work powerfully through this staff. God once again encourages Moses by telling him what was going to happen when he reached Egypt. He is giving him the information before he gets there. Moses is told to perform all wonders that have been given to him by God. However, in spite of the demonstration of God's power, God will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let his people go. The lesson that Moses is being taught here has kind of two parts to it. A, the task in hand is not going to be easy. 
Just because you have been called doesn't mean that he was going to walk straight into Egypt, give Pharaoh's God's message, and walk out again with the people of Israel. Job done, thank you much indeed, watching their hearts, please, God. No. There would be many difficulties, many hardships. I was reminded by this by a child of mine at school on Friday. When I asked him that question for prep, this child sat there and he thought, Sir, well, he didn't thought so, he said, Sir, that's a bit like Jesus come in a storm. I went, Okay, where are you going with this one then? And he went, Well, the disciples, they were all called by God to go and do a job, weren't they? And then the disciples were on this boat in the lake. Yeah, I was going, Go on then. I could start to see where he was trying to go with this. And then the disciples got attacked by the evil spirits in the sea and persecuted and challenged and were scared. And I went, yeah. Well, that was kind of God preparing them for the job they were going to do, wasn't it? And I went, cracking. That's your first piece of evidence. That's your New Testament biblical link for your answer back to your prep. Should people be, be prepared to do what God has called them to do, no matter how dangerous? Your prep better be in by Friday. You see... God may have called us to salvation service, but that doesn't mean things are going to be easy. Life will be difficult. We are in a spiritual battle. And it may be that when we are obedient obedient to God, things get even worse. I've had a couple of conversations with people about this recently in church and spent some time in prayer and they proved really valuable to myself in reminding me that God's work is not easy, but difficult. But, and there is a big but, God is sovereign. God is Lord. That's the other lesson that Moses needs to learn, that God is sovereign over Pharaoh. Egyptians gave Pharaoh a godlike status, but God is showing Moses that he is God and is in sovereign control. And his control extends even over someone like Pharaoh. But the Lord then encourages Moses by giving him a message that he is to give to Pharaoh. He has to explain to him that the nation of Israel is God's firstborn son. This is the way of saying that the people of Israel are very precious to God. They're like the firstborn son of a king. At the same time, Moses to give the very famous message to Pharaoh of a warning. He's to tell him that if he refused to let God's people go, then his firstborn son and heir to the throne will, in fact, be killed. And we see that happen in chapter 12. So, with such a clear instruction in his mind... Moses must have felt encouraged and better equipped for the task in hand. However, things are never straightforward when you follow God's plan. Now we come to the confusing part of the story. It suddenly seems that Moses was stricken down with illness 
an illness which was so severe that it looked like he would die. Moses was at last ready to obey the Lord, but now it seems as if he's going to die, and God was the cause of this. Why? It doesn't make sense. Especially when we've seen these amazing characteristics of God back in the burning bush a little time back. We've seen those, how God is holy. Take off your shoes. We've seen how God is compassionate. He was moved by the suffering of his people. We've seen how God keeps his promises, the covenant with Abraham. And we've seen how God is alive through the burning of the bush. So how comes God is going to go and say, Moses, your time is nearly up. Well, to me, the clue lies in the third characteristic. God keeps his promises. The main reason was that, for me, Moses had not fully obeyed the Lord in regard to one of his sons. Moses had not circumcised his son in obedience with God's commands in Genesis 17, verse 10 to 11. And I'll read these for you now, just quickly. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male you shall be, shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So we got to the bits in the story on Friday at school, and I said, yep, yeah, okay, God's called Moses, and he's going to go back to Egypt, but then I said, actually, God wants to kill Moses. Well, not wants to, but Moses is going to die. And the class kind of went, doesn't really make sense. But then I went back and I read that passage to them. And their response amazed me. They sat there and went, all right then, fair enough. Moses didn't follow God's command. He was putting somebody else in front of God. There was an acceptance in my class that that was correct. They almost took it like a childlike faith. You disobey God, there's a punishment. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. He promised to be their God and they would be his people. But the sign of the covenant promise is circumcision. Those who were circumcised symbolized that they belonged to the Lord. So that must mean that Moses didn't, at that time, via his son, belong to the Lord. Now, we don't know why Moses had failed to obey the Lord's command in this area. Perhaps it was his wife Zipporah's kind of dislike of circumcision. But here Zipporah takes the lead. She comes to the rescue. She takes a flint knife and circumcises her son. Some translations say that the foreskin is placed at the feet of Moses, almost like a sign of washing away the past. Your sins are forgiven. The outcome of this, although, is that Moses got better and is described later on as the Lord let him alone. Now, there are valuable lessons for us to learn 
through this incident. We too can be like Moses. We have presented our excuses before the Lord and they've all been blown out of the water. Then we submit to God's will, feel encouraged by the Lord's kindness and grace to us and set our new determination to serve the Lord. But it might be that we know that within our hearts there is still disobedience. There is something still in our hearts that God spoke to us about weeks, months, or even years ago, and we have not addressed it to put it right. We have resisted the Lord, put it to one side. But now, as we are about to serve the Lord, with our renewed vigour, he reminds us of our previous failings to obey him. He says to us, I'm glad that you are obeying me now. But what about the other matter? That one you keep holding on to. When God speaks through his word, he expects us to listen and obey. He commanded that all the Israelite boys are to be circumcised as a sign of belonging to the Lord. Moses must obey. This incident clearly reminds us that we cannot mess with the Lord and his word. He expects total obedience to him. And so we come to the bit where he, Aaron comes along. Moses is encouraged with the arrival of Aaron as a mouthpiece. God sends Aaron to meet Moses, and Moses tells Aaron all that God has said to him and about the miraculous signs that he was to perform. Moses and Aaron went to the elders of Israel, and Aaron, as Moses' mouthpiece, told them everything the Lord had said to Moses, and he performed the signs before the people, and they believed and worshipped God when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery. Now, I want us to notice a few things from this lesson here. The relationship between Aaron and Moses. In God's work, we need to support each other. We need to support, guide, and encourage each other. Moses needed Aaron. Aaron needed Moses. And together, they presented God's word to the people. We all need to support one another in God's work. For the burden of proclaiming God's word to the people is far too great for one person to burden on their shoulders. In fact, Jesus sent out his disciples in a group in order to encourage one another, support one another. We can do that through supporting through prayer. We need people to walk alongside one another for the sake of the gospel. Be there as we go out to encourage us, to stand with us as we proclaim the words to others. We read that Moses and Aaron had to perform the signs given to them by the Lord before the people believed. I'd imagine Moses used all these three signs before they believed. One was not sufficient to be convinced. 
the Lord gave Moses three signs in case of people who did not believe him. These people were living by sight rather than faith. But when they finally believed, they worshipped God. And here's my challenge tonight. Perhaps we are no better than the Israelites. We have heard God's message of salvation many times. But maybe we are not yet convinced. We are living by sight rather than faith. Maybe today we all need to be reminded of the gospel truth about our sin, about Jesus Christ and his death and be convinced about our need to be saved. If we are convinced, then I trust we will be like the Israelites who believed and as a consequence worshipped God. We cannot truly worship God until we truly believe. Once we believe, we will want to worship God all the time, for we will be amazed that the Lord was concerned for us. We will be amazed that he heard our cries to bring us out of slavery. So turn to him and then come and worship God. Amen.